Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. It is good to be with you as we continue uh, our summer series on following Jesus. Um, if you are, are used to how we do uh, life at KBC, we normally do expository preaching, just working thought by thought through books of the Bible. Um, this summer, we're, we're switching that up a little bit and being biblical in our thinking, um, but tackling some specific issues related to following Jesus. And so today we continue that. Next week, we'll be wrapping up that series uh, as we spend our fifth Sunday really devoted to, to celebrating the Lord's Supper and, and focused on what Jesus has done for us um, ultimately on the cross. I uh, got an email from Jeff Pearson late last night. Check team arrived in Ostrava, uh, where, will there be, where they will be uh, serving, and they had uh, a good trip, and they are starting camp today. So we want to be praying for the Czech team as they get started uh, today. And also want to thank you for your prayers uh, for my dad as he had surgery and uh, just your requests for how he's doing. It's been very encouraging. God has been very gracious in um, how the surgery went and in the, the recovery that's already started. So thank you very much. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we gather. Um, you are stunning. Uh, we are grateful for, uh, as Matt reminded us, the saints that have gone before us and uh, the words that they have penned about who you are and what you have done, uh, that we now get to join in that chorus and sing about them. Uh, thank you so much. And now as we turn to your word and, and as we look at uh, at who you are and what you have done and what you are doing. Um, I specifically ask that, that this morning uh, would ultimately be uh, about you, God. We are going to be talking about who you made us, but we want this to be about you and not about us. And so would you direct our thoughts, would you direct my words, and would you help us to, uh, to leave today uh, equipped to follow you maybe a bit better than when we arrived. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever sat on a piece of wood? You probably have. Just a plain old piece of wood. Maybe a log at a bonfire. There's lots of times logs around the bonfire or um, just a plain flat park bench or a pile of lumber at a construction site. Um, wood tends to not be a very comfortable choice to sit on. There are uh, much better things to sit on. The chairs, the metal and padded chairs that you're sitting on are potentially a slight upgrade to just a flat slab of wood. Um, but generally, wood is not a very good choice for a comfortable chair. As I was approaching graduation from seminary, Sarah and my parents asked me what I wanted for a graduation gift. And there was something that I wanted that I'd wanted for a while, but I didn't want to spend the money on myself. And so a gift is the perfect opportunity to do that. And the thing that I wanted was a comfortable reading chair. Now, had I been smart about it, I would have gotten the comfortable reading chair before seminary, but I, you know, graduation was approaching, I had the opportunity, and so, so I wanted this chair. Um, and they thought that was a great idea, and asked what kind of a chair I wanted, and I, I showed them a picture, and I have a picture for you. Um, it's a slab of wood. And they kinda questioned that, they said, Really, a wood chair for a reading chair, is that, is that a good choice? I said, it is. It really is a good choice. Because this isn't just a slab of, of plywood. It is uh, an award-winning design by uh, husband and wife team, Charles and Ray Eames, 
50, 60 years ago. Um, and I saw the chair once. I know what I like when I see it, and I liked that chair. I had an opportunity to sit in one. I knew I wanted that chair. Sarah agreed. The design looked interesting, and it was my graduation gift, so she went along with this idea. Um, now, the real, the real deal, um, they still sell for $1,000, brand new, which was not in the graduation gift budget, right? Um, but Amazon. Amazon has the generic version for $100, and that was in the graduation gift budget. So I clicked buy now, and two days later, I assembled my, my wannabe Eames plywood chair, and I know that right now you're thinking, this is going to be one of those stories of how the cheap version was nothing like the real version. But actually, the $100 version is really good. You should buy one. They're great. <laughs> so I built it. I sat in it. And I smiled contentedly as Sarah looked on with suspicion. And then I said, no, you got to sit in it. So she sat on it and was won over by, by the chair. Uh, it's actually terribly comfortable. I don't know how, but... Charles and Ray Eames knew just how to bend plywood to make a really comfortable wood chair. It's a great reading chair. Um, you see, it's, it's a brilliant design. And I, I love how that chair looks. I, I like, not everybody does, I do. I like the look of that chair. It's a brilliant design. But the reason that it's brilliant isn't just because it looks nice. It's because it functions right. When you sit down in it, it's comfortable. You see, design comes to life in its purpose. Design comes to life in its purpose. And that chair fulfills its purpose really well. So it's a great design. But today isn't about chairs. We're not here to talk about chairs. We're here to talk about Jesus. We're here to talk about how he chose to make you and make me. And we're here to talk about why he chose to make us the way that he did. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us collectively as a church body. Today isn't about chairs, and we're going to be talking about us, but it's ultimately not about us. It's about our designer and about how our designer receives the glory that he deserves when his brilliant design comes to life through the purpose for which he made us. Let's start by looking at how Jesus designed you and me. Our first point, design, who Jesus made you. In our living room hangs a picture of, of Yosemite National Park. Um, half specifically. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that, if you've been there. It's just this massive, it's like this massive rock that just ends in a flat face. And it's stunning to look at it. It's beautiful, it's wondrous, it's grand, it's, it's harsh, it's, it's amazing. But I've never actually been. I've only seen Half Dome in pictures. But Ansel Adams, he has been. And he knows how to capture the place. You see, a good, a good, a good photograph, a good, a good painting, a masterpiece, is ultimately not about what's on the canvas. It's about the place that it represents. Ansel Adams has the capacity to, to take a photograph of a place, and when you see that, you're transported to that place, and you get to, to understand parts about that place without going. Obviously, it's not the same as being there, but you begin to get 
glimpses of what a place is like. A masterpiece isn't about the artwork itself. It's always about what the artwork represents. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Familiar words from Psalm 139. Let's read that again. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. When, when uh, God made Adam and Eve in the garden and, and, and every one of us that he has made since then, we are very intentionally made in his image. We are made to represent him. And you know what this psalm says, these two verses right here? They say that, that you're a masterpiece, perfectly designed to make parts of God known. We, we don't often, we, we, we generally think of these two verses with a little baby, which is, is fair and is accurate. But it's still true of us. And whatever has happened in your life up till this point, and whatever you have done, and whatever has been done to you, does not take away the fact that God says that you are a masterpiece. That you are so well designed that when those around you look at you, you make God visible and they praise God for who he chose to make you. Ironically, our theology can, can kind of trip us up in this. We are so used to the fact and, and thinking about, and it's very true, that we are wretched sinners and that we are rebels and that we can do nothing good on our own. That is all true. And yet, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. King David had plenty of life under his belt when he wrote those words. He had shared, he had already committed his fair share of sin. He knew what was in his heart, and he had been wronged plenty. These words aren't written um, in innocence, in ignorance of who we are as sinners. But this is a powerful thought that the sin that we commit, the sin that is, that is naturally ours and what has been done from us, doesn't remove the fact that you are a masterpiece purposefully designed by God to make him known. God designed you specifically to make parts of him known that the person next to you isn't going to do. And so there's this sense that who you are is not about you, because who you are is about God. You are designed to make God visible. It's about him, not about you. But at the same time, you make him visible and tangible in a way that the person next to you doesn't. And so who Jesus chose to make you does really matter. 
Our theology will focus on our sinfulness. And that's okay. We are very sinful. We don't want to diminish the work that Jesus did on the cross. But brothers and sisters, we are not just balls of sin on our way to heaven. We are purpose-built by God to make him known. He designed us very intentionally the way that he did. So who are you? How did Jesus design you? I, if, you're, if you already have your bulletin and a pen out, I've got a question for you. If you don't, grab your phone, grab something. I've got a question. I, I really want you to write an answer down. Um, two questions. Simple questions, but maybe hard questions for us to answer in some ways. The first question is, what are you good at? What are you good at? It might be something that you get to regularly do. It might be something that you rarely get to do. It might be something that you get paid to do. It might be something that you don't get paid to do. It might be something that you do with your hands. It might be something that you do with your mind. It might be something that you do relationally. What are you good at? What are you good at? It might be tangible. It might be intangible. Write down one or two things. What are you good at? And then here's a second question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? It might be, you, you might have passions that you get to regularly exercise and that have lots of outlet in your life. You might be passionate about things that there's really not room in your life for right now. Um, you might have a lot of experience with this passion, living it out. It might be something that you are are just discovering. It might be something that there's a lot of people around you that share this passion, or you might know no one that shares this passion. But what are you passionate about? What are you good at, and what are you passionate about? The answer to those questions are, are a very key part of who Jesus chose to make you. It's not all of who he chose to make you, but it's a very practical, functional part of who he chose to make you. What are you good at and what are you passionate about? Jesus designed you to make him tangible and visible to those around you. and He designed you in a way that is different from the person sitting next to you. Ansel Adams took a lot of pictures of Yosemite. He took a lot of pictures of, of Half Dome. And in each one of those pictures, you see a different part of the national park. And, and in many ways, we're like that. Each one of us is a different snapshot, a different, a different lens, a different focal length, a different exposure, a different process to show off different parts of who God is. Jesus is the only human that walked the earth that can show off all of God at once. The rest of us get a little snapshot. So who did Jesus design you to be? That's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is, is purpose. Why did Jesus make you? When Sarah and I got married, uh, a beloved KBC family who shall remain nameless gave us a little basket with really cool, unique things to use around the house. This is their wedding gift to us. And we had a lot of fun kind of pulling them out, discovering them, laughing at them, 
Um, the one that I had the most joy in discovering was a, a pizza slicer. You know, the kind of little disc that you roll. But it wasn't just any old pizza slicer. It was a monkey riding a unicorn, riding a unicycle pizza slicer. And so the slicer was a little wheel on the, on the unicycle, and he had little feet on little pedals on the, on the disc, and it was really cool. I loved moving it back and forth on the cutting board. It was a ton of fun. So we had a pizza night, so we could use our new monkey riding a unicycle pizza slicer. And the pizza came out of the oven ready to go, and we went to cut it, and the little disc was too tight and it didn't roll and it just slid and tore the pizza. And then to make matters worse, the little feet on the little pedals on the disc were so low that they were messing with all your toppings and your cheese and moving it all over the place. And so I was so excited about this monkey on a unicycle pizza slicer and it ruined the pizza. I had to like grab the plain old pizza slicer from the boring drawer and cut the pizza. Then we washed the monkey on a unicycle pizza slicer and dropped it off at Salvation Army. So maybe it's in your junk drawer now. I don't know. Um, but it was really cute. And had it worked, it would have been a great seller. Like, who wants a regular plain old pizza slicer when you can have a monkey on a unicycle pizza slicer? But it doesn't work. So you really don't want it. You see, Purpose and design really go together. Even a mediocre engineer knows that purpose informs design. And our creator is much more than a mediocre engineer. And so he designed us perfectly to carry out the purposes for which he made us. Which begs the question, what's the purpose for which he made us? Well, God is on a mission, a mission to bring blessing to his creation, ourselves included. Our fallenness, uh, our own fallenness and sin, the, the fallenness of the world around us, the fact that the entirety of creation is in rebellion against God, uh, does not stop that mission. In early in the Bible, God articulated that mission to Abraham, and he said, through your descendant, I am going to bless the world. And then the Bible unfolds, and uh, we see Israel develop into a nation, and then Jesus comes along, and, and Jesus arrives with the good news of his kingdom. And during his life, he explains what that kingdom is all about and what that kingdom is like, and he shows us what kind of a king he is as he dies on the cross to reconcile us to himself. And then he rises again, and he puts the news of that kingdom in our hands, in the hands of his people. And, and the Bible continues, and we see in the epistles Jesus' people learning how to live out this kingdom and how, to, how to, to take the kingdom to the ends of Jesus' creation. And we look forward with them to the consummation of God's plan when, when the fullness of Jesus' reign takes over and destroys the rebellion that's left on this earth, and, and everyone is joyfully under his reign. The blessing that God is bringing to his creation is the reign of his king, Jesus. The blessing that God is bringing to his creation 
is the reign of his king, Jesus. When we talk about God wanting to bless his creation, it's not a generic, let's spread some warm fuzzies and make things a little bit better. The blessing that God wants to bring is the reign of his king, Jesus. That's the purpose for which he makes everything. And as the ultimate designer, that purpose informs everything that he creates, including how he chose to make you and me and how he chose to bring us together as a church body. God's purpose informed your design. You are perfectly designed to carry out his purpose. One of the most stunning things that God has done is that he chose to include us in that mission, in that mission of blessing his, his rebellious creation by bringing the reign of his king everywhere. God chose us to involve us in that process. That's why Tim is training with to every tribe, because there's parts of the world that don't know about Jesus at all, and they need to know about their king. But that's also the reason that most of us stay right here, because this community needs to experience the reign of King Jesus. This community needs to know. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Ephesians 2? Many of us have parts of Ephesians 2 memorized, whether we realize it or not. Uh, there is a lot of theology and a lot of theological debates that come out of Ephesians 2. A couple of the most popular verses, you, you, like I said, you might have these memorized without even knowing that you have Ephesians 2 memorized. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very well known. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's amazing news, right? That we are saved by grace through faith. It's not our doing. It is completely God's doing. When we look at ourselves, we struggle to see the wonder of God's design because the first thing we see is our rebellion. And that's okay because that is a wonderful reminder for us of, the, of what God has done in saving us through Jesus. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 starts with the word for. We're, we're going to get a, a reason for what came before verse 10. We're going to get a reason for the, the wonderful news. It's in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Now comes the reason for this salvation by grace that God so freely dispenses. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why did God save us? Well, this verse tells us that um, he saved us because before he created anything, he had decided that there were ways that he wanted you to bring good to his creation. Jesus didn't create you because he had a quota to fill. Jesus created you because he has blessing to dispense. God created you because he intended before time began to bring good to this broken world. He knew the, the fall would happen. He knew rebellion would come. And none of that derailed his plan. 
He designed this world perfectly so that the goodness of Jesus' reign would be known, would be shown, would be experienced. And before he flipped on the sun in Genesis 1-3, he decided how you were going to be a part of that process. And in order to make that happen, he knew that he had to deal with your sin and with your rebellion and with my sin and with my rebellion. So an integral part of his plan has always been that Jesus would die to pay the price for our sin so that he would become our sin and we could become his righteousness. We don't have the ability to do these good works on our own. We don't have the ability to bring the reign of Jesus anywhere until it has come into our hearts first as he takes over. That has to happen. But once Jesus has, has accomplished that, has secured that work, then he, he entrusts to us this process of spreading the reign of Jesus. I, I, there is a, uh, something in this that I don't totally understand because Jesus is sovereign, right? And, and exactly what he intends to happen is going to happen. But then he legitimately involves us in the process at the same time. And there's a little bit of a dichotomy there that I, I, I can't wrap my mind around. How he is sovereign, and it's all about his doing, and yet he brings us into it in a legitimate way. And we're not, we're not going to resolve that this morning. We have to live with that tension. But Jesus legitimately brings us into this process of bringing good to his creation, of fulfilling his promise to Abraham to say, I'm going to bless every nation on earth through your descendant, who is Jesus. That monkey on a unicycle pizza cutter, it had one job, slice pizza, and it did it terribly. It failed miserably. Had that cute little design actually translated into doing what it was designed to do, it would have been like a bestseller. But it didn't. So it lands in the giveaway pile as an illustration of, of bad design. That molded plywood chair, it looks great and it accomplishes its purpose. It is a really comfortable chair. That is good design. the creator of the stars that holds everything in perfect balance and makes everything work. He didn't botch his design of you. He designed you perfectly so that your design can come alive in his purpose and he receives the glory. When, when our design, when the way that Jesus made us, when who he made us, comes alive in his purposes and why he made us. He receives the glory, not us. It's not about us. It is about him. That picture of, of Half Dome in my living room is not about that picture. My focus doesn't start and, start and stop there. That picture is about what it represents. You are designed not to be about you, but to be about the one that you represent. You are perfectly made to carry out the purpose for which you were designed. And that purpose 
is to participate in God's work of spreading the reign of King Jesus to, to the, the four corners of his earth, everywhere. What does it mean? Like, the reign of Jesus is a really nebulous term, right? It's this big concept. What does that mean? Um, well, that's a whole sermon series, and we didn't make coffee this morning, so we're not sticking around for an answer, full answer to that question. But um, here's a practical way that you can think about it. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? When you, when you answer that question, you are moving towards bringing the reign of Jesus to the situation that you're in. It's very unfortunate that WWJD was just a commercial fad 20-something years ago because having, a practical, having practical reminders around us of what would Jesus do at any given setting would be really helpful. As you uh, talk to your really annoying neighbor across the fence or across the yard, how would Jesus interact with them? As you interface with a very difficult government official for the umpteenth time, how would Jesus handle that? As you have another conversation with that really annoying coworker that you wish would call in sick. How would Jesus handle that person? As you sit across the table from that family member that you wish would move out of state, how would Jesus handle that? When, when your spouse or your children push all of your buttons, maybe simultaneously, how would Jesus respond to them? What would the Prince of Peace do in those settings? What would the wonderful counselor do? What would the good shepherd do? As we move in our responses towards what Jesus would do, we are bringing his reign with us. We are that Jesus' reign is what he would do. And so as we act and as we respond, not as we sinfully would, but as Jesus would, then we are actively bringing his reign to that moment that he chose to put us in, wherever that is. That is something that happens far more in our daily lives than together as a church body. It certainly happens together as a church body, but we spend much more time apart from each other than together. And so we have many more opportunities to make the reign of Jesus tangible out in the world where Jesus chose to put us than we do gathered up together. So here's a question for you to think about. Again, I'd love for you to write down an answer, even if you need to uh, just use a little code word or initials. Um, that's, that's fair. Here's a question. What situation or setting or relationship have you been in this past week or will you be in in the next few days where the reign of Jesus is really needed? I mean, on the one hand, every setting and every relationship does. But where do you kind of acutely see the need for that? Where is the reign of Jesus needed? Write down one or two responses to that. And then second question, as you think about those settings, what would Jesus do? In that setting, in that situation, in that relationship, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do?
Jesus designed you the way that he did on purpose. And his design of you, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, even what you're not good at, is part of how he has directed your path to put you in different situations and in different relationships and in different settings and the person sitting next to you. Jesus designed who you get to interact with and in what settings you are going to interact with them because he intends to bring his reign to those settings through you. And you are perfectly designed to do that. And when you do do that, by the grace of God, not in your own confidence, not because you are, are so good in and of yourself, but because you now, as the redeemed child of God, you bring the, the righteousness of Jesus into that setting. He made you and he redeemed you so that you can make him tangible and known in that setting. That's your purpose. And when, when design is, comes to life through purpose, you get alignment. That's our last, last point. The genius of that molded plywood chair isn't appreciated until you sit in it. It can look nice across the room, but once you sit, you know, I, I, my wife is a very wise woman. She was wise to be skeptical of how comfortable that chair could possibly be. It's just plywood, right? But once she sat in it, she was won over. The genius is that it actually fulfills its purpose. That monkey on a unicycle pizza slicer, you couldn't tell how bad it was until you used it. It had one job, it failed miserably. The brilliance of a design, more importantly, the brilliance of a designer, isn't known until the design is used for its purpose. We exist to bring glory to King Jesus, our creator. When we get in motion for what he is doing, that is when who he made us comes alive and we get to bring uh, a really unique kind of glory to him. We get to to make him tangible in unique ways. Did you know that, that um, sailboats can like hum or purr? There's probably, I'm sure there's a technical term for this. I know nothing about sailing, so um, I know nothing about sailing. But I have friends that have a little sailboat, and on Sunday afternoons, we would sometimes put it in at the state park, and uh, we would row when there was no wind, and then the wind would come up, and the sail would pop out, and we would get to sail across that lake. And the first time I was out there, I had never experienced this, but all of a sudden, the wind came up, the sail filled up, and we took off. And my friend trimmed the sail and adjusted the rudder a little bit, and all of a sudden, the boat started to hum. And I grinned. I knew nothing about sailing, but I knew that what we were experiencing at that moment was perfect sailing. That is what sailing is, is about. And there's... There's this, set, there's this moment when the wind and the way the sail is interacting with it and the way the sail is set and the design of the ship, it all comes together and it works perfectly and you can't help but smile. It's amazing. That's alignment when design and purpose come together and things work the way that they're supposed to. You can't help but grin. You might work really hard at it, but you can't help but grin when who God made you comes alive in why he made you. A while ago, one of you hosted an event. Um, 
that I was blessed to be at. And everyone that was there was just felt at home and relaxed and relationships started and friendships grew and, and there's just this incredible sense of belonging and intimacy. Um, it was a great time. And at that moment, in that setting, we were getting to experience the hospitality of our king who describes himself as one who goes out into the street and gathers up the beggars and brings them to his wedding feast. And he says, you belong. This is for you. That's our king. And at that moment, in that setting, we got to enjoy relationships in such a way that, that we got a glimpse of the relational belonging that flows from our God who's three in one. It was a great time. Everybody that I talked to that was there just commented on what a, what a blessed time it was. And a few days later, I ran into to this person that had hosted us, and I commented on how, how blessed I was, how blessed everybody else were, was, and I thanked them, affirmed them, and I heard back exactly what I expected them to say. So you know what? We love to do that. It's such a joy for us to do that. We love to do that. That's alignment. When who God made you and why God made you come together, you might work really hard at something, but it doesn't take the joy away. It doesn't take the smile off your face. When who God made you and why God made you come together, it's great. Good things happen. Our king gets the glory. Let's close with a few practical words about uh, what this means for us individually and as a church. We've talked a lot about how God designed us and, and about why he made us. And the point of that isn't that we would walk away um, praising ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, but that we would walk away with a renewed and a refreshed desire for our designer to receive the glory that he deserves. Not so that we can enjoy ourselves, but so that he receives the glory that he deserves. Who did God make you? Jesus' purpose designed you. You're a masterpiece, perfectly designed to make him known in ways that the person next to you isn't. And he chose to bring us into this work of blessing his creation as he brings his reign to his creation. Where do you love to do that? How do you come alive? Church family, we need who God made you to be. For us as a church family, for us as a church body to function as Jesus designed us when he brought us together, we need who he made you. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. 
if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You might be an eye. You might be an ear. You might be a pinky. You might be a toenail. It's not a hierarchy. It's not about which is better than the other, about which is important and which is less important. It's about the fact that you are part of a body, that you are part of this body, that you are part of your body, and that if we are collectively going to live out God's purpose for us in this county and to the edges of the world, we need who he made you to be. We don't need who you think that we need you to be. We don't need who you are guilted into being in the life of this church. We don't need who you are pressured into being in the life of this church. We need who God made you to be. When you hold back, we are hampered, all of us, collectively. Again, Jesus is sovereign. He's going to accomplish exactly what he intends to accomplish. And yet, he brings us into what he is doing in a very real sense, in a very legitimate sense. And when you hold back, we are hampered. Our body hurts. Our body is incomplete. Jesus designed you the way that he did it on purpose. Jesus brought you into his incredible work of redemption. First, he redeemed you. He made you his own. He placed his righteousness in, in you. He became your sin. You became his righteousness. So that you can participate in his amazing purpose of bringing good to his creation. One of the things that we asked Jesse, that we have, are asking of Jesse Meekins as he, as he comes to be our pastor, um, is that he would be a man of vision, that he would get to know us as a church, uh, and then that he would, would lead us, going to rally us and lead us together in the direction that God is moving us, um, that he would help us live out our purpose in that way. I know in my time with Jesse, um, he's excited to get to know us as a congregation. He is very excited to do that. Um, and he's very excited to, to be a part of, of us accomplishing what Jesus brought us together for. Um, but church, we need you to do that. We can task Jesse with being a man of vision and helping mobilize us all we want to. But if we hold back, if you hold back, we are incomplete. Jesus designed you on purpose. He brought us together on purpose. And we need the eyes and the ears and the mouths and the toenails so that we can do what Jesus created us for as a church body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are praiseworthy. You were praiseworthy uh, completely apart from anything that you have done. You are worthy of being worshipped and you are being worshipped and you will be worshipped for all eternity. And yet somehow in your goodness and wisdom you decided to, to include us in the process of what you were doing. And so you, you chose us before the foundations of the earth to be yours through Christ Jesus. And you designed good works for us to do in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. And then you created us. 
And you redeemed us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to make us your children, to deal with our sin and our rebellion and make us yours. And you draw us into what you're doing. And we're going to leave here and we're going to return to homes and neighborhoods and jobs and hobbies where you are needed, Jesus. And, and you've chosen to put us there and we want your help. We ask for your help in being really aware of, of what you would do in those settings and of how we respond. Would you help us to be intentional in the, the world that you've chosen to place us in? And as we gather as a church, as we function as a church in the coming months as Jesse gets here and we get to know him and he gets to know us and, and we begin uh, to take some steps together as a church, uh, would you help us to be really intentional and faithful to, to bring to this body who you made us to be? Not so that people comment on how great we are, but so that we and the world around us can see our glorious designer and praise him. Bye.